The following is a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1. We talked about uh, a few weeks ago, and remember, we're walking through 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, we talked about this. In Christ, we have hope, and hope is a huge benefit for us. It's a huge gift that we give to the world. In Christ, we have to live a holy life. It's not an option. It's not a choice. Either we live a holy life or we don't. And then we also said this in in 1 Peter 1, that we're grateful for the cross. And a couple weeks ago, we had the privilege of, of, of taking communion together where we just proclaim, you know what, God's not dead, that there's a purpose in, in what we have. Last week from 1 Peter 2, we said that we need to develop this spiritual taste. There was that little verse in there that said, taste and see the Lord is good. What taste do we have? We also talked about the need that we have to, to be the church that we're called to be. We're living stones. We're a chosen uh, people. We're a royal and holy priesthood. Then we, we kind of threw this in at the end that we need to, to learn to submit. Even when leaders are bad, you and I need to get to a place where we learn to submit. Trent did a great job just walking us through First Peter 3, and we're going to keep highlighting different things from it. Let me pray. We don't want this to be Matt's words. We truly want to hear what God has for us. So let's pray. God, in the next few minutes, may you cause the things that are in our mind to to be far from the front of our minds. Whether it's to-do lists or things that we need to get accomplished or just the busyness of the week and trying to have our mind slow down, may you bring great peace and comfort May these words not be Matt's words. I pray you put me so far in the background that my friends don't see Matt speaking. They truly hear a representation of what you want to speak. We want to hear from you. That's why we're in church together. Thank you for the gift of laughter. We pray for Megan and the children's ministry group. Thank you that we have a parade of kids walking out of this place. May you cause a truth to stick with those children today. They are the hope of the future, and we're excited. Thank you, God. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, have you ever suffered for for doing good? Think of a, a time maybe away from church when you suffered for something that you thought was right. You made the right choice. You worked hard. You still suffered. You were honest, and you still suffered. Did it leave that good feeling in your throat? Did it make you, hey, I want to do that again? You know, when we get burned or when something happens, eh, when we try to do good, it costs us something. And it costs us something that's really precious to us. It costs us our pride and our our self-worth. The world, and, and we'll throw ourselves into the same mix as the world, the world is like us. Let's not have any suffering. Don't suffer. Just blend in. Don't 
Don't create a, a ruckus. As Christians, God calls us to, to be different. Here's a, a few things from Scripture that paint a different picture for us than the picture that really the world or even that Matt wants to kind of live into. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this, and it's pretty potent. It just says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to follow Jesus will be persecuted. That's great encouragement this morning, Matt. Thank you for that. Thanks, Trent. Uh, John 15.18 says this theme again, and it goes, If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. Man, this sounds really exciting. You ready to sign up for this life? We'll have sign-up sheets at the back. Now, this doesn't mean that, that every Christian will, will struggle from some physical abuse. But it does bring up the question, what does our salvation actually mean to us? If it doesn't cost us anything, our salvation, then really, what does it mean to us? Now, in our own life, we could be going through a hard time. As a church, we could be going through a hard time. We could have this poverty mindset, like, look at everybody else. Maybe in our own life, we look and we go, wow, look at everybody else. They've got a new car. They've got a new TV. Man, they're eating out every, every Sunday. I wish I could have that. Or maybe as a church, we start to go, well, I remember 20 years ago when, when this was this, or... 10 years ago, or I wish we had this, or I remember that. And we could quickly move to, to blaming people like, well, maybe it's our former pastor, or maybe it's our current board members, or maybe it's somebody in our family, or maybe it's somebody over there. The interesting thing is, as we move to blame, it, it uses our energy and our passions for some things that aren't very worthwhile. You know, the, the question we always have to ask ourselves in our own life is, what is God teaching us right now? What is God teaching me in my own life? What is God teaching us as a church? How is God really going to use what my struggle is to actually bring something out that's good in, in the other end? So we're going to look at five things from these few verses that we read, the, the five things are on the board behind me, on the screen behind me. What qualities do we need to have that's important? What's the Lord's response? What qualities do we need to have? Then we need to look at what's the Lord's response. Then we need to look at what's the answer during the struggle? What actually is the answer? Then, then Peter's going to push us back to the struggle of the cross. We're one of the things about Peter we're quickly going to see is that he always points us back to the cross. And then that final one, this, the struggle of, of being a witness. Now, some of you who uh, I encouraged last week to read the chapter a few times before we, we came into church, I'd encourage you to read 1 Peter 4 before you come next Sunday. Some of you were like, oh, I can't wait to see what Matt's going to say about those first seven verses where it just says, submit, submit, submit. And some of you are like, that's why I'm coming to church today to hear what Matt has to say about that. Here's, the, here's how I'm going to sum up those first seven verses. It's going to be really easy. If you ever feel that someone needs to submit to you, that means you need to submit first. So there, that's it. 
That's, that's those seven verses. If ever in your mind you're going, I'm waiting for this person to submit to me, then you need to be the first one to submit. Whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, if we as a church actually started to submit to one another, we would function and look very different. And so anytime in your mind you go, man, that person should submit to me or I'm waiting for that person to submit, submit first. Well, let's look at, at, at verse 8. I'm going to read it again. Verse 8 through 11. It just says this, finally, all of you, not some of you, not a few of you, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peter here talks about all of us. Everyone must live in harmony with one another. That includes all of us. Well, what is that word harmony? Harmony is agreement in feeling or opinion. It's accord. What's harmony in music? It's a, it's a combination of, of sounds that are considered pleasing to the ear. Well, let's turn this into church, our church. Do we function in harmony? As, as non-Christians, as Christians, do they sense that we are a combination of ages that are truly pleasing to God? Or... That's one image. How about this image? Some of you as parents can experience this. Or are we like the school band that's just learning how to play our instruments together? And some of us have sat through some painful band practices and band concerts where it's a struggle to even make sense of the song that they're singing or playing. Is that what we sound like? That screeching group that's deafening that people want to close their ears over. Peter follows up this call to be sympathetic with love as, as, as brothers. Do we care about the person to our left, to our right, across the sanctuary? Do we love them? Christ throughout scripture talks on numerous times about family. Because he understands that family might not... Uh, like each other, but in the end, the bond that a family has is, is stronger. It's thicker than water. Do we stick up for our brothers and sisters? Or do we as a church just simply crumble under the pressure of a struggle? Peter goes on to say this, that, that we need to be compassionate and, and humble. When I feel compassion for them, I actually care for people immensely. Be humble? When things don't go my way in, in my church, do I function with humility or do I fly off the handle? What is God teaching us during this time? Is God teaching us what humility looks like? Isn't it interesting that, that during a time of, of struggle, we are told to function in harmony, loving one another as, as brothers? I love Peter. He says, sympathetic, compassionate. In a time of struggle... I'll be honest with you, those are the least qualities that I rely on. 
Verse 9 continues to develop the theme. In a time of struggle, what do we want to do? We, and I'll put myself here, I want to blame. I want to eliminate ourselves from the problem. I want to clear my name. Listen to what verse 9 says. Don't, pay, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but rather with a blessing. Because to this you were called so that you could inherit a blessing. If we want to be blessed as, as individuals or as a collection of Christians, then we need to stop repaying evil with evil, gossip with gossip, and replace it with blessing. When was the last time that we actually prayed a prayer of blessing over someone in the church? How about our leaders? When was the last time we prayed for them, that God would grant them wisdom, God would bless their efforts? In verse 11, the the theme is cemented with a charge to Christians that we need to seek peace and pursue it. Christians must function with peace to share God's love to a world that's far from peace. Look at, uh, look at the second thing. It's going to be in verse 12 through 14. What's the Lord's response for us that are caught up in the struggle? Listen to 12 through 14. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. What's a a righteous man? That's interesting. They'd use that word in there. What's a righteous man and woman? What qualities set them apart? Well, later we're going to hear about this guy named Noah, and some of us know Noah. We can picture the boat and all of those things. Just kind of hold on to Noah. Noah, in Genesis 6 and 9, he was actually called by God a righteous man who was blameless. In Deuteronomy 6.25, if we're careful to obey all the laws that the Lord gives us, that he's commanded us, that act will be righteousness. Do you ever feel like your prayers are not being answered? Now, I'm not talking about getting a no answer where we want to hear the yes answer and we seem to think that God's distant. God's actually answering us. What I'm understanding in my life is it's actually because I'm starting to let things creep in. Kind of back that list up Am I repaying evil with evil, insult with insult? Then the righteousness of who Matt is actually starts to to wane. Righteousness in the Greek actually means this. It means innocent and faultless and guiltless. Is that my life? Would those words actually describe, describe Matt? I love verse 12. Look at verse 12 just in your, your pages there tells us that the Lord's ears are attentive to those who are righteous. He listens, he answers, he partners, he blesses. The Lord offers protection for us in the struggle. Who is going to harm us? Verse 13. The protection is is not just for us as individuals, but also for us as a corporate body, as, as a church. 
Well, what's that protection look like in the church, Matt? I, I believe it is in the form of unity. Unity of staff, unity of board, unity of congregation. It's in relationships. It's in finances. It's in spiritual health. Well, if, if we're not living as righteous or as a righteous church, how can God protect us? Really, I believe, and this is matology, you don't have to put it in your notes, please don't. I believe, though, if, if I start doing my own thing, then God, in his wisdom, goes, okay, I'm just going to let Matt do his own thing. We want to do it our way, so God just goes, well, you can do it your way. I love verse 14, and sometimes when we hear the word blessing, we get a little bit toward prosperity gospel or, or something that, well, if I do these things, God's going to reward me with some things here on earth. But verse 14 uses the word blessed. I want us to look in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is sitting on the, the, the hillside with his disciples. It's all new to these guys. It's very radical. He's calling them out. You don't have to necessarily turn there. If you want to turn there, you can to Matthew 5. But Jesus sees the crowd, and so he climbs up a mountainside. He sits down. His disciples come to him. His followers come to him. And he begins to teach them, saying this. And to be honest, this is not what I think they wanted to hear. I think they wanted to hear, we're going to be great. Things are going to be easy. It's going to be awesome. And here Jesus goes in, in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to see the kingdom of heaven? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I want to be comforted by God. Blessed are the meek, for, for they will inherit the earth. I want to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. I want to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I want to be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they actually will see God. I want to see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I want to be called a son of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they are righteous, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want to be persecuted, do you? Do you want to be blessed by God? Then I challenge you this week, study these verses. This isn't a buffet list that we just kind of look and go, man, I really like the jello. Okay, I'm going to grab that and then I'm going to ignore the other nine. There's a progression there. One that we need to study. What's the answer during the struggle? Look at verses 15 and, and 16 again. But in your hearts, revere, honor, Christ is Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ 
may be ashamed of their slander. When people ask us during a time of struggle, a time where we want to run and give up, what's our response? Christ calls us not to blame, not to point fingers, but to tell people of the hope that we have. Go back to 1 Peter 1. When something happens in our life or in our church's life, what's our response? Matt's response usually is to blame, to find how I can be away from the situation. Maybe some words like this, I told them so. They should have listened. It was that person's fault. Or are we actually pointing people to the hope that's found in Christ? Do we do that with gentleness and respect? Do we have a clear conscience or do we do it with slander? The bottom line is this. The people outside these walls need hope. Hope from what the world throws at them. Do we offer that? Well, let's go back to the cross. Look at verses 17 and 18. The struggle of the cross. For it is better if God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ died for us, the unrighteous, so that we could become righteous. Christ never once proclaimed that we were idiots or that Matt was selfish. He went to the cross so that we could have a personal relationship with God. That's obedience. That's for suffering for doing good. Well, let's keep moving. The last little section, verse 19 and 20. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. Here's the interesting thing, and it's a great place for us to kind of camp for a second. Can you imagine being Noah? I mean, you get told by God to build a big boat in a land that never once had an ounce of rain. For years and years, you're trying to convince people that a flood is coming, and you do this for 160 years of your life. Can you imagine waking up every morning and being ridiculed? There's that Noah guy again, building that boat. Can you imagine what it would feel like to go to bed at the end of the day going, yep, repeat, repeat the next day, repeat the next day. How many people believed in Noah and what he was saying? Look at verse 20. Eight. Eight. Only part of his family, not his whole family. Was he a success? In 2018, would he be asked to teach a class on how to share your faith in our church? Noah was a success because he was obedient. Some of you have the same struggle with your families. You've shared your heart with your families continually. What is God telling you? Be faithful. Persevere. You're making a difference. Be obedient. Let's take it to the church. Some of you have stayed at Renfrew in the highs and lows of Renfrew. 
Why do you stay here? You stay here because you believe God's called you. He's, he's called you. Sometimes you might even feel like Noah or Moses wandering in the desert, but you know God's providing. You know he's working. You know he's supplying. You know he's talking. You're just trying to listen. So, the qualities that we need as a church and as individuals during the times of struggle in our life is we need to pursue harmony. We need to be sympathetic. We need to love each other as brothers. We need to be compassionate and humble. What's the Lord's response to us in this struggle? God goes, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to bless you. Our answer to people who see us in the midst of struggle, whether it's personal or in our church, is we have hope. There's hope of a Savior. In a struggle, we need to be faithful like Noah. So what is God teaching us individually during this time of struggle? What is God teaching us as a church? I want you to turn with me to to Romans chapter 12. We'll end with this. The worship team will, will come up. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. And this is my challenge for you. So there's three things this week. It's pretty easy. Be joyful in hope. This week, evaluate, am I joyful in hope? Am I patient in affliction? Romans 12, verse 12. Am I patient in affliction? Which means for some of us, our first response needs to be not what comes out of our mouth. And then the third thing, we need to be faithful in prayer. If we actually started to do that, then when struggle would come into our life, the struggle wouldn't consume us. We'd actually be overcomers in it. Look at that again. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And always faithful in prayer. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word at times can be difficult for us to hear. We want to understand what that means for us as we face struggles. We know struggles are not abnormal. We know struggles will happen at work tomorrow. They'll happen in relationships at some point this week. They'll happen in the life of our churches as together we try to figure out what you're calling us to. May we be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and fervent in prayer. We love you, God. Thank you so much for today. We ask all this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Renfrew Baptist Church, a community of faith that exists to create obedient followers of Jesus Christ who love God and love people.